Fourteen. After a week of travel and three off-course jumps, the dark banded surface of Koribu's nightside was finally swelling in the shadow's forward viewport, biting an ever larger crescent from the blue-green sun behind it. The planet was girded by a spectacular ring system, and the dusky shadows of its penumbra were brightened by a litter of twinkling moons. But Luke's gaze kept drifting to the velvet void beyond, to a few bright stars where the Chiss frontier hung stretched like the web of some dark, deadly spider, better left undisturbed. The Chiss prided themselves on never being an aggressor people. By their own law, they never attacked first. Their military doctrine took the edict even further, decreeing that an enemy must attack them within Ascendancy space before they responded. So Luke did not understand how the Chiss had ended up in a border conflict when both sides acknowledged that the colony was still over a light year from the border. Perhaps doctrine had changed. After all, the war with the Yuzhan Vong had changed almost everything else. And Luke knew from his last journey into the unknown regions that there were things happening out here that the Galactic Alliance still did not understand. The number of Chiss ruling houses had been reduced from nine to four for some unknown reason, and the empire of the hand had mysteriously vanished. So it certainly seemed possible that the Chiss had changed their doctrine. Still, Luke doubted that the Chiss would abandon their most basic tenet, the prohibition against attacking first. The law had stood for a thousand years, and Thrawn, the Chiss Grand Admiral, who had nearly defeated the New Republic single-handedly, had been exiled from the Ascendancy for violating it. To Luke, there was only one logical conclusion. The colony had brought this conflict on itself, or Raynar had. Just the thought of what Raynar had become filled Luke with guilt and sorrow. The Mercure mission had cost his nephew Anakin and six other young Jedi their lives, and Raynar had suffered horribly, alone and with no reasonable hope for rescue. Could he be blamed for becoming the entity that he was now? It was war, Mara said softly from the pilot's seat. She glanced up at the activation reticle in the canopy, then looked at Luke in the section that mirrored over. You're not responsible for what happened. Billions of good people were lost. I know that, Luke said. The blue star was completely hidden behind Koribu's dark side now, and the yellow ring system looked as though it encircled a ghost planet. But Raynar isn't lost. I may be able to bring Raynar back. You dream big, Skywalker. But it's not going to happen this time. For better or worse... Raynar is entwined with the colony. I doubt they can be separated. You're probably right. But something here feels wrong. Define wrong. Something to do with Raynar? Maybe. It frightens me when Jedi become emperors. The galaxy had a bad experience with that. But Raynar is hardly another Palpatine. He seems very concerned about his, uh, people. For now. But how long before power becomes the end instead of the means? 
So it's your job to set it right? We have enough to worry about in the Galactic Alliance. The galaxy is larger than the Galactic Alliance. And the Jedi can't be responsible for all of it. There was a long silence while they continued the discussion on a deeper, more intimate level, wrapping themselves around the other's viewpoint, trying to understand completely, but also searching for a way to consolidate what seemed to be opposing opinions. Such moments were one of the secret buttresses of their marriage. They understood how they fit together, how each had strengths and insights that complemented the weaknesses and blind spots of the other, and they had learned early in their relationship, during a desperate three-day hike fleeing Imperials in a Vornsker-filled forest, that their future always looked brighter when they relied on each other. But this time, there seemed no way to reconcile their concerns. Jedi resources were already stretched too thin to try separating Raynar from the colony, even if Luke could convince the rest of the Council that it was the right thing to do. Yet he could not escape the feeling that something important had fallen out of balance, that his Jedi Knights were busy plugging back holes while their ship flew down a black hole. Life was a lot simpler when we could just draw a lightsaber and cut the bad guy down to size, Luke said. Mara smiled. Simpler, not necessarily easier. They were close enough to Karibu now that its moons had begun to resolve into colored shapes, from twinkling yellow specks to creamy fist-sized disks. Luke counted 25 different satellites glimmering in the penumbral grayness to either side of the gas giant's murky face, and the navigation display revealed another 30 hidden in the complete darkness of the umbra. Luke reached out in the force. A diffuse insect presence blanketed six different moons, all currently clustered together near the penumbra's outer edge. Jaina and most of the other Jedi seemed to be on a moon near the center of the group, and, to his great relief, they exhibited only a hint of Joiner double presence. But Lobaka was floating a little behind the group, just inside Karibu's pitch-black umbra, frightened and alone amid a mass of Chiss presences. One of the Jedi in the main group stirred beneath Luke's force touch, then extended a welcoming embrace. Luke recognized Jason's presence, but before he could respond with his own feeling of warmth, his nephew's voice sounded inside his head. Hurry. Jason seemed more concerned than alarmed, and Luke had the clear impression that things were about to get crazy. He raised a hand to point toward the moon with their Jedi, but Mara was already swinging the shadow's nose toward it. He would have liked to open a hailing channel and raise Jaina on the comm, but there were certain to be ascendancy listening posts all over the system, and the less the Chiss knew about what was approaching, the better. Faster! Saba's voice came over a vessel-to-vessel tight beam channel that would be difficult for the Chiss to intercept. She was aboard the XR-808G, serving as June's co-pilot until Tarfang recovered. It feels like our Jedi Knights are preparing a battle rage. You heard him too? Luke asked. Jason? Yes. Saba's breathing began to grow heavy and deliberate. It felt like they were about to go crazy. 
they must have found a great evil, or Tezar would never awaken the Hungry One. The Hungry One? Mara echoed. Take it easy, Saba. I don't think crazy means the same thing to humans as to Barabels. Saba's breathing slowed. No, it just means unpredictable, Luke said, amazed at how little he still understood Barabels. A bit out of control. Unpredictable. What a relief. This one does not like to set her mind aside. Grimacing at the thought of a Barabel robbed of all restraint, Luke brought up a tactical display and found a trio of frigates drifting in unpowered orbit near Lovaka's presence. They were being tended by a swarm of rescue craft, with a shield of clawcraft fighters hovering between them and the Killick-occupied moons. Floating just above the ring system were several massive chunks of flotsam that gave Luke a very bad feeling. R2, give me a composition analysis on that debris in the middle of the Chiss task force. R2-D2 tweeted a listless acknowledgement, and a moment later the analysis appeared on an inset on Luke's screen. The flotsam was metallic, irregular, and mostly hollow. Starship pieces. Luke started to comment that there had been a battle, but stopped when he heard a pair of small feet slapping onto the flight deck behind him. Hurry! Ben cried from the door. Jason needs us! Luke turned to find his son charging forward in his night tunic, his red hair still pillow-must and his eyes bleary with sleep. Luke opened his arms. You heard, Jason? Nana clomped onto the deck behind him. I apologize. He woke and jumped up before I could get to him. She extended her hand, saying to Ben, Come back to bed. It was only a dream. Luke motioned her to wait. It wasn't. He hoisted Ben onto his knee. We heard Jason, too. Ben's mouth dropped open. You did? Yes. Through the force. This brought a flash of alarm to Ben's eyes. It's okay, Ben, Mara said in a soothing voice. There's nothing to be scared of. You touched the force all the time when you were younger. During the war, I know. Ben stretched out his arms to Nana. I want to go back to bed. Luke didn't lift him toward the droid. You're sure? We're coming up on Koribu now. Ben's face lit briefly in delight when he glanced forward, but he quickly turned back to Nana. I'm still tired. Really? Luke frowned inside, but passed Ben to the droid. We'll wake you when we see Jason and Jaina. Okay. Ben buried his cheek on Nana's synth flesh shoulder and looked away. After the droid had taken him off the flight deck, Luke said, He's afraid of it. Clearly. Mara's voice was sharp, but Luke sensed it was only because she was worried about Ben. Maybe he thinks the Force is why his cousin and so many other Jedi died. Maybe. It would be nice to have a reason we understood. But you don't think that's it? I guess not. When it comes to anything else, he's just too adventurous and confident. Sometimes even reckless. Noting that the Falcon was already drifting into a standard defensive formation while June's XR-808G continued to speed ahead, Luke opened a tight beam channel to both vessels. Not so fast, Exer. Until we know what that battle was about, 
There was a battle? June gasped. Check your readouts, Han calmed from the Falcon. When he received only dead silence in response, he added, You don't have the standard reconnaissance suite? We have two pairs of electro-binoculars, Saba informed them, acting as the XR-808G's co-pilot, and only one of us is small enough to use them. As Han chided the Sullustan for this lack, Mara said to Luke, Heads up, what's that? Luke checked his tactical display and found a torrent of Killick dart ships streaming out of Koribu's shadow. Frowning because he had not sensed any nest in that area, he turned to ask R2-D2 to double-check the readings, and found the little droid leaning against his interface arm, slowly twisting the information buffer back and forth in the socket. Alarmed at how the droid seemed to be deteriorating, Luke promised himself that he would schedule some maintenance time and looked out the forward viewport instead. It took only a moment to see the sensors were not mistaken. An elongated oval of tiny white flecks was pouring into the gray shadows of the planet's penumbra, moving to position itself in front of the six moons where Luke had sensed Killix. This isn't standard procedure, June said. The XR-808G continued toward the Killick moons. They must be nervous because of the battle. Then what are you doing? Han asked. Shouldn't we slow down? The sooner they see us, the better. Once they realize we're only flying transports, they'll return to their usual routine. Insects are very advanced. They always follow standard procedure. Luke wasn't so sure. He reached out to the dart ships and sensed nothing definite, only the same vague uneasiness that he had felt before the tower collapsed on Yagoi. He knew that Mara felt it too. Captain June, I think you should come back. We can't feel those pilots in the Force. You place too much faith in your ancient sorcery, Master Skywalker. In Running the Blockade, Escape from Yavin, Captain Solo clearly illustrated the value of a competent approach. What did I tell you about those history vids? Han warned. The Force isn't just some hokey religion. This stuff works. So does procedure, Captain Solo. That's why you're paying me the big credits. Let me do my job. The dart ships continued to stream out of the umbra, gathering in a wall of swirling, flickering orange between them and the Killick moons. The XR-808G accelerated. Captain June, I think you should reconsider. Though Luke spoke more forcefully, he resisted the temptation to tell Saba to take control of the XR-808G. The Jedi may have developed a ruthless streak during the war, but they still stopped short of fomenting mutiny. After the attack on Yagoi, what attack? June asked. The building collapse, Saba rasped. But that was determined to be an accident. Not by us, it wasn't, Han answered. The XR-808G's running lights began to flash in ancient blink code. Luke looked at his display, but instead of the translation he had expected, he found only the blipstorm of approaching dart ships. R2? R2 emitted a surprised clunk, then trilled a short question. The Xer's blink code, that's what? Luke said. How about a translation? 
R2-D2 droned wearily, and the translation began to scroll across the screen. This is the XR-808G, flagship of June Tar Commercial, with two sister ships bearing supplies for the Jedi warriors. Please signal your intention to provide safe escort. June Tar Commercial? Han complained over the comm. Flagship? I didn't think Sullustans had that much imagination. Luke looked back to R2. Any answer from the Killix? R2-D2 tweeted a sharp no. The dart ships began to stream toward the XR-808G, bleeding a swath of orange rocket flame through Koribu's shadow. June, get out of there now! Han's voice made the comm speakers pop. Time to cut and run, or you're fired! June was already swinging around, but the dart ships put on a burst of speed and shot across the last few kilometers in an eye blink, engulfing the XR-808G in a whirling cloud of rocket lights and splinter-shaped holes. Luke felt a sudden spike of Sullustan fear and Barabel anger, then bursts of silver light began to erupt around the transport. June's voice came over the S-thread emergency channel. Urgent! Urgent! His voice was terrified but steady. This is Captain June of the XR-808G, requesting immediate assistance. We are under attack just off Koribu in the Gaiol system. Coordinates, enough procedure already, Han said over the normal comm. We know the situation. Copy. The channel crackled as the XR-808G's shields fell. Then the comm erupted into a steady deep rumble. Ah, uh, we just lost our drives. Request plan update. I'll be there in a minute, Han calmed. Just sit tight. Cop the signal disintegrated into a series of loud bangs, and the Falcon started forward. We'll take this one, Shadow, Leia calmed. Hang here and cover our stern. Why don't you cover our stern, Mara suggested. You're better armed. Because the Shadow has yacht-class drive units, Han said. If you latch onto that transport, it'll take a week to get moving. You have us there, Mara admitted. The XR-808G's blaster cannons began to fire indiscriminately, blowing whole swaths clear of dart ships, and the anger that Saba had been pouring into the battle meld turned into hunt glee. We're going in, Leia calmed. Just keep your drives hot. We may have to scoot out of here in a hurry. Copy. Luke was just as worried about Han and Leia as he was about June and Saba. The Falcon packed a powerful punch and boasted military-grade shields, but her legendary speed would not be available if she was dragging along a transport almost as large as she was. Just be as fast as you can. Check that, Mara said. I think you're scaring them off. Luke glanced at his tactical display and saw that the dart ships were swinging away from the XR-808G, leaving the Falcon a clear path to rescue June and Tarfang. Maybe those guys aren't as homicidal as we thought, Luke said. Could this be a communications problem? It wasn't a communications problem when the tower fell, Mara said, and I don't like the way those dart ship pilots feel. Shadowy. Luke agreed, like they're hiding in the force. The dart ships hooked around and began a ferocious acceleration on a course opposite the Falcons. 
back toward the pitch blackness of Koribu's umbra. They're sure in a hurry, Luke said. He switched scales, searching for any sign that the Chiss were moving against the Killix, or the Killix gathering for an assault on the Chiss. Everything looked quiet on both fronts. The dart ship swarm split into two groups, one accelerating at twice the rate of the other. I didn't know methane rockets could provide so much thrust, Mara said. None of this makes sense. R2-D2 beeped, then scrolled a message across their displays. These killicks are flying hydrogen rockets. By the time the Falcon's tractor beam had caught hold of the XR-808G, a two-kilometer gap had opened between the two sets of dart ships. The swarms continued to accelerate toward the planet's umbra until the faster one was past the shadow, then both groups pivoted around and came shooting back for a flank attack. Look sharp, Luke warned. They're coming back for us. See them, Leia replied coolly. Thanks. The Falcon began to accelerate, but hardly with her usual speed. She was dragging the XR-808G along, drawing it in slowly because the two transports were so close in size. Working any faster, Luke knew, meant risking the tractor beam's grasp, or smashing the derelict into the Falcon. The dart ships continued to close, and it quickly grew apparent that the Falcon could not outrun them without setting the XR-808G adrift. Luke started to suggest that they let June and Saba go EV so the Shadow could pick them up on the way past, but the slow swarm suddenly stopped and began to form a wall between the Shadow and the Falcon. The second, faster swarm continued to pursue the Shadow from behind. This doesn't look good, Mara said. R2, start plotting escape vectors. The droid tweedled an acknowledgement and went to work. They drew us in. I'm ashamed. They're going to a lot of trouble to get us, Luke said. What I want to know is why. That was the question he held in his mind as he searched for Jason and Jaina in the Force. Raynar had been unwilling, or unable, to discuss the Yagoi attack honestly, but Luke felt sure his niece and nephew would prove much more open. In reply, he received only an impression of confusion. Same story as on Yagoi, Mara observed. Nobody knows anything. R2-D2 tweeted an announcement. The shadow lacked enough current velocity to escape unscathed. No matter which way they turned, the fast swarm would have a 30-second window of attack, and that assumed the shadow suffered no damage to her drive units. Nana's voice came over the intercom. Shall I take Ben to the docking bay? Not yet, Mara said. I really think you should take Ben and flee in the Stealth X, Master Skywalker, the droid insisted. The Shadow's odds of survival are certain, Mara growled. Her gaze slid across the mirrored canopy toward Luke. Right? Right, Luke said. They had, re they had rehearsed just this situation many times. We're fine. Closing his mind to external distractions, Luke began a focusing exercise, breathing in through his nose, filling his belly diaphragm with air, then exhaling slowly out of his mouth. He barely felt the shadow shudder.
as the first dart ships began to pelt her shields with balls of primitive chemical weapons. And when Han's voice came over the comm, he heard the words only with his ears. Uh, why aren't you on an escape vector? Is R2 on the blink again? Negative that, Mara answered. She lowered the shadow's blaster cannon and began to fire indiscriminately into the cloud of swirling dart ships. We're okay. You don't look okay. We'll cut the extra loose and circle back to negative. You do that. We'll never get free of these pests. Keep going and don't look back. Luke has a trick up his sleeve. Copy. It was Leia this time. If you're sure, we're sure. Mara closed the channel. Then, as the shadows shuddering worsened, added, I think Luke was sure. By then, he had opened himself wide to the force, and it was pouring in from all sides, filling him with a maelstrom of power, imbuing his whole body with its energy. A bang sounded back in the engineering bay as a power conduit overloaded. Then the lights dimmed as R2-D2 redistributed shield power. Luke felt a surge of anxiety from Mara, but pushed it to one side so he could concentrate on the task at hand. He formed an imaginary picture of the shadow's exterior, then expanded it into the force, moving it from his mind out into the cockpit. Mara turned around and inspected the image carefully, then said, Looks good. Luke continued to enlarge the image, extending it into every corner of the vessel, taking his time to absorb the attributes that made up the shadow's sensor signature. He began to grow tired, but ignored his fatigue and expanded the illusion until it covered the entire ship like an imaginary skin. Another bang sounded in the engineering bay. This time, before R2-D2 could redistribute power, the sound was followed by the muffled thuds of several hull hits. Mara hit the crash alert, closing all airtight doors and evacuating the pressure stopless systems, then spoke over the intercom. Nana, get Ben into his vac suit. I've already done that, the droid responded. We're waiting at our evacuation station now. Perhaps you should come. Nana, you short circuit? Ben's voice said. We're fine. Dad said so. Trying not to be distracted by his son, or by the steadily growing shudder of the barrage of dart ship attacks, Luke brought to mind another image of the shadow, this time with a black, star-speckled veneer that resembled the emptiness of deep space. Instead of absorbing the ship's sensor signature, however, he blanketed it with a layer of cold emptiness. Once the illusory skins were in place, he carefully adjusted them, drawing the masking image tight against the hole here, pushing the counterfeit out a little there. The effort of maintaining both illusions was beginning to deplete the energy running through him, so Luke opened himself up completely, using his fear for Ben's life, his anger at the insects that were threatening it, to draw more force into himself. Every centimeter of his body began to nettle with its sting, and a faint aura arose from his skin. A third bang sounded from the engineering bay. How about that decoy, Skywalker? Mara asked. Our shields can take it. Luke released the outer skin. Go! 
Mara shoved the throttles to overload, then, half a second later, shut down the drives. The shadow slid out of her double, and still masked by the dark veneer Luke had constructed, glided quietly away from the force illusion. The shuddering stopped. Luke continued to maintain both illusions, the force pouring through him like fire, burning more fiercely every moment. He was drawing more energy than his body was conditioned to endure, literally burning himself up from the inside. It was not really a dark side act. To a modern Jedi, the dark side was more a matter of intent than deed, but it felt that way to him. According to Mara, this was what happened to Palpatine, and Luke believed her. He could feel himself aging, his cells weakening, the membranes growing thin and the cytoplasm simmering, the nuclei coming apart. The air around him began to crackle with static. R2-D2 extended a fire extinguisher and started toward Luke, squealing in alarm. It's okay, R2, Mara said. He knows how far to push it. He's not going to ignite. I hope, she added silently. On Luke's tactical display, the illusionary shadow, the real one was not visible even to her own sensors, was slowly drifting toward the bottom of the screen still surrounded by a cloud of attacking dart ships. A small inset was counting down the seconds remaining until the force-cloaked shadow would be far enough from the dart ships to restart their drives and flee. The way Luke was hurting, 30 seconds seemed like an eternity. We're bringing June and Saba aboard now, Leia calmed. Her voice was filled with the concern that Luke felt in the force. Do you need help? They could not answer for fear that the dart ships would notice the calm waves and discover the shadow's true position. Instead, Mara reached out to Leia through the Force, trying to assure her that everything was fine, though the message would have been clearer coming from Luke. His body was starting to tremble and spark, and he needed all his concentration just to fight his exhaustion. The XR-808G began to drift away from the Falcon on the tactical display and the Solos started a sweeping turn back toward the battle. Luke felt Mara protesting through the Force, but the Falcon only began to pick up speed. Leia was angry with them for trying to be heroes. The situation wasn't that bad. Stang! Mara cursed. That mom! Ben called, peeking around the corner. He was in his vac suit, with his helmet visor open. Dad says we're not supposed to say Stang! Your father's right. Aren't you supposed to be at your evacuation station with Nana? We were, but then the shuddering stopped and... Ben's gaze drifted over to Luke's glowing, anguished form, and his eyes bulged with horror. What's wrong with Dad? Nothing. I'll explain later. Mara activated the intercom. Nana? The droid appeared behind Ben. Master Ben! She swept him up and retreated aft. The drill is never over until we hear the all clear. Luke's skin felt as dry as a Tatooine lake, and tiny halos of golden light were starting to appear around his fingertips. The Falcon was on a straight heading and accelerating toward the dart ships. The inset on the tactical display showed three seconds. Two, Mara brought the sublight drives back online. Luke let the illusions drop and slumped into his chair his skin prickling, 
and his hair standing on end as the last of the force energy left his body. Han's voice came immediately over the comm. What the blazes? The Falcon made a hard turn away from the confused dart ships. Did you just... Didn't I tell you not to look back? Mara asked, her voice still that of a reproving mother. Now fall in behind us and stay there. Uh, sure. Han sounded more confused by her tone than he had by the sudden change in the shadow's location. Whatever you say. The calm went silent, and Mara let out a breath. Chubba, don't tell me I just talked to Han like he was a it's okay, Luke assured her. At heart, he's just an overgrown kid anyway. She activated a mirror section and looked back at him. How are you feeling? Like I grabbed a power feed. Why is that so much harder than pushing a Star Destroyer around? Mara smiled. Just don't make a mess on my flight deck. Feeling in danger of doing just that, Luke started to rise, then caught a glimpse of himself in the mirrored section of canopy. His voice was puffy and wrinkled, his skin sallow and dry, his eyes sunken and baggy and rimmed in red. He was starting to look like Palpatine. Not by half, Mara assured him through the force. But get some rest, she said aloud. If you push that stuff too hard, there's no telling what might happen.